Well, good morning. As Pastor Rich mentioned, this is Missions Month here at North Olmsted Friends, and we're going to have an opportunity throughout this month to hear from different voices about the work that God is doing and the mission that God has called us to. So today I'm here, and Pastor Jeff is actually visiting at our Elyria campus. Um, they get the better deal, but um, we are throughout the month going to be hearing from different missionaries and church planters who are connected to our church. There will be opportunities for us to serve. And then on, as was mentioned at the beginning of the service, on February 24th, we'll be able to celebrate together as part of our missions banquet, and I know that you'll want to be there as well. This morning, I would, would like to give you an update on our Elyria campus, and I realize that some introductions are probably in order. Uh, I see a lot of new faces uh, every time I'm here on a Sunday morning, and that's wonderful. Uh, but my name is David Hoovler. I have the privilege of serving as campus pastor at Elyria Friends. And it was two years ago that Peace Mennonite Church on West Ridge Road in Elyria contacted Pastor Jeff and Pastor Rich, explaining their situation there. Their attendance had been declining for years. They were down to 15 to 20 people on a Sunday morning. They were facing the loss of key leadership, and they didn't see how they were going to be able to continue. And so they just asked us, would North Olmsted Friends be willing to partner with us? It was actually two years ago this Sunday that I began sharing sermons out there. A team of people from both churches came together to pray, to imagine what a merger might look like, and to discern God's leading about whether that was, in fact, what he was calling us to. And both of our congregations decided, yes, this is what God would want us to do. This is the direction that he wants us to move. And so that location became the Elyria campus of North Olmsted Friends Church. Our launch team continued praying and planning, and we had the formal public launch of Elyria Friends in January last year. And this past year has been busy. We've participated in community events, we hosted a vacation Bible school, invited our neighbors in to an open house and a fall festival. You know, I, I told our elders at our leaders retreat a couple of weeks ago that Christmas to me was really a sign of how far we've come and the work that God has been doing. At our Christmas Eve service, in 2022, about a month before our launch, we had barely two dozen people. It was sweet and it was holy, but it was very small, and it felt like not much had changed. But this past Christmas, we welcomed 43 people to our morning service and 48 to our candlelight service in the evening. As I looked around that room, I saw many people who were new over the past year. Some of them were new to faith in Jesus or had recommitted to him. We had a full worship team, our kids' choir sang. It was beautiful, still small, but it was beginning to feel like a thriving church. And so far in 2024, we've been averaging 47 people in the building on Sundays 
A third of that is in our kids and children's ministry volunteers in, in kids' church. We have two growth groups, active teams, planning worship and the AV ministry, kids' ministry, hospitality. We're in the middle of a warming drive for Illyria and partnering on a lunch for the homeless in a couple of weeks in Illyria, and you're invited to be a part of that as well. And God's not done yet. We're continuing to reach out to the community this year. We're planning to launch a campus youth program by the fall. And our goal by December of this year is to have an average Sunday attendance of 55 to 60 people. And I just wanna say thank you to all of you for your prayers and your support of this mission that God has given our whole church as we serve together in two locations. Because, you know, as we look at this topic, at missions, it can be easy to think that it's work that God is doing over there. Things like schools in Malawi or church plants in Thailand. And we will hear about those things this month, and we are involved in those things. But this month is going to be a failure if we don't realize one very important thing. Missions isn't just over there. It's right here in North Olmsted, and in Illyria. But you might be wondering, well, how do I know what mission God has for me? And what if that's not easy? Well, spoiler alert, it isn't. Nothing worthwhile ever is. In the prophet Elijah's day, Israel was just spiraling down the drain. Their king was a weak king influenced by his wife, Jezebel, to promote the worship of idols. The state sponsored 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. In response, God withheld rain for three years. Elijah confronted Ahab and the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and in a dramatic showdown, Baal was silent. But God sent fire from heaven to consume Elijah's sacrifice, and Elijah executed the prophets of Baal in line with the law of God. But then Jezebel got word about what had happened, and suddenly everything changes. Or maybe more to the point, Elijah realized nothing had changed. I invite you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. And I'll begin by reading the first nine verses. The words will be up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them and be able to keep them open as well. 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. 
Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. You know, discouraging as this can sound, Elijah's story is actually very encouraging to me. A big part of that is because of the way the Bible is so honest about his humanity here. It would have been really easy to just paint Elijah as one of the great heroes of the faith, to gloss over his struggles, but the Holy Spirit inspired the writer of Kings to include this story so that we can see another side to him. Because following God can be hard. For the record, so is not following God. But the Bible doesn't give us room to think that becoming a Christian just means that it's easy street from here on out. Even when we're following God, even when there are victories, even when we can clearly see him at work, we can struggle. We can get weary. We can be tempted away from the mission that he calls us to. You know, God hears Elijah's prayer to die. And God says no to that. In fact, this might be one of the most definitive no's in the whole Bible, because Elijah actually never dies. Sometime later, God just sends an Uber to just whisk him straight up to heaven. But Elijah gets to a very important point here. Notice what he says. God, take my life. And to that, God says yes. He doesn't kill Elijah, but he takes his life. He takes his life and sustains him, providing for him physically and providing for him spiritually because he knows the journey is too much for him. God takes Elijah to himself, to Horeb, the mountain of God. We also know it as Mount Sinai. Jesus said, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. As long as we're living in our own strength, holding on to our pride, it doesn't matter if we're trying to fulfill God's mission. It's not going to work. Sooner or later, we'll fall down exhausted, or everything will just blow up in our face. Each day, Jesus calls us to lay down our lives, to stop trying harder, to admit that we're no better than those who went before us. And when we ask God to take our lives, when we yield to him, seeking his mercy, his grace, we'll find that he's faithful to meet us, to sustain us, only by giving up our lives can we truly go on mission for him 
and find out what it means to live. So the first step, let God take your life. Elijah's story continues in verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me, too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me, too. God tells Elijah, go out, stand in my presence, I'm going to pass by. And then there are these dramatic events, earth, wind, and fire. And it's almost... It's almost as though God is testing Elijah to see if he really knows his voice. It's a tough one. Because these events of nature do often happen when God shows up. Elijah hears, but he knew that God wasn't in any of it. It's what comes afterward that causes him to cover his face and step out of the cave into the presence of God. God was in the gentle whisper. Now that phrase here seems to be difficult to translate. It's literally a sound, a gentle stillness. It seems translators have gone a bunch of different directions to try to capture it. A still, small voice a gentle and quiet whisper, a light, silent sound. Maybe my favorite is from the Common English Bible. After the fire, there was a sound, thin, quiet. John Walton is a professor of Old Testament at Wheaton College, and he draws something powerful and poetic from this. He writes, Yahweh speaks in the reverberating silence that follows tumultuous disasters. Yahweh speaks in the reverberating silence that follows tumultuous disasters. God might use the dramatic, the powerful, and even terrible moments in our lives, but he's not often in those things. At most, they're tools, and usually, they don't do as much as we might expect. Look at what happened just before Elijah fled to Horeb. God sent fire from heaven, and the people proclaimed, The Lord, he is God! 
but there was no lasting revival. Even Elijah wasn't revived. He was so despairing that he prayed that he might die. On Mount Horeb, all those natural disasters don't change him at all. After all that terrifying drama, God asks him the same question, and Elijah gives exactly the same answer. It almost seems like he's been rehearsing it, doesn't it? You know, when we listen to missionaries share about their work, it's important for us to catch something. There's rarely anything glamorous or dramatic about what they're doing. Sometimes God gives people opportunities to do big and bold things for him, and that's great. But far more often, he calls us to help others hear his still, small voice right where we are. That gets us to the last part of this passage, because God doesn't leave Elijah where he is. He sends him back out because God's not done with him yet. Beginning with verse 15, the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. God sends Elijah out on a new mission, and it's a mission of anointing. You know, in the ancient world, especially in Israel, priests or kings would be anointed. They would have oil poured over their head to symbolize the Spirit of God coming upon them, equipping them for a particular task, or to represent God before his people and the people before God. In the New Testament, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is described as an anointing. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken, to us, spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now notice here, Paul says that God anointed us. That's a very important point. Prophets didn't make kings or priests, and the kings and priests didn't earn their roles. God chose them in his grace and the pouring of oil simply proclaimed that grace of God. In the same way, you and I can't save anybody. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But just like Elijah, 
we can anoint others with the message of God's grace. I find that a lot of people think that God can't use them for his kingdom because they don't speak well, or they don't know enough theology, or they don't have a big public platform. And God can use people who have all of those things, but most of us are no Billy Graham or D.L. Moody. And the number of people who hear your message doesn't guarantee the success of that message. You know, thanks to a grant from our denomination, we were able to do a good bit of advertising for Illyria Friends over this past year. For example, just before Easter last year, we sent mailers to 11,000 households. That was 40% of the households in Illyria's zip code. And on Easter Sunday, we had zero guests. Now, the old PR guy in me isn't going to say the money was wasted. We build awareness that we were there, and I believe it is paying dividends in the work that we're doing in the community. But you know what has led to people visiting and becoming part of our church family? Somebody invited them. We often will worry about the direction our society is going. And we can think that God has given us a mission to change our culture. That's not our mission. The mission Jesus gave us is to make disciples. You don't make disciples by trying to change the culture. You don't change the culture by trying to change the culture. You change the culture by making disciples of Jesus. When God sends Elijah back out on mission, he sends him to individuals. I'd like to look at who those people were. First, God told Elijah to anoint Hazael king over Aram. Hazael would become the most powerful king the nation of Aram ever had, and he waged constant war against Israel. So it might seem strange that God tells Elijah to anoint him, but this is a reminder that God wants to anoint even his enemies. Paul writes, As I have often told you before and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And that has been every one of us. But while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through him? And if we've been reconciled to God through the cross of Jesus, he gives us a mission to go to those who are far from him, those who are still his enemies and share with them the ministry of reconciliation, the anointing that is freely offered to them. Do you have Hazael's across your tables today? At home? In your neighborhood? At work? 
Now, I know that's scary for a lot of us. I don't feel like I have the training. I don't know what to say. What if they respond poorly? What if it, what if it hurts our relationship? I get it. This is really hard for me, too. But one time, Pastor Adam actually shared this in one of our staff meetings recently. Somebody shared the gospel with Penn Gillette. He's half of that magician duo, Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette is an atheist. As far as I know, he still is. He didn't change his mind. But he wasn't offended. He said, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If we believe that we have been given the gift of eternal life, not because of our own goodness, but only because of God's grace, what does it say if we never share that message? Second, God told Elijah to anoint Jehu, a military commander of Israel who would become king. Jehu would wipe out the line of Ahab, put Jezebel to death, and try to turn Israel back to God. But at that time, when God spoke to Elijah, Jehu was just doing his job. He wasn't standing up for what he knew to be right. He was just following along with a culture that was turning its back on God. Jehu shows us that God wants to use us to anoint those who need to step up. On Mount Carmel, Elijah had challenged the people of Israel, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Many people give lip service to God, but they haven't truly made a commitment to him. They haven't yielded to him. They haven't said, Lord, take my life. And we are given a mission to those people across our tables who are complacent in their faith. We're called to demonstrate what a life yielded to God looks like, to encourage our friends and our family to go deeper in their walk with him. That can happen in a setting like this, but it's usually most effective in the context of relationship. Not beating people over the head with a Bible, but just together, supporting, correcting, weeping, and rejoicing together. Who are the Jehus in your life? Third, God told Elijah to anoint Elisha to succeed him as prophet. After God took Elijah into heaven, Elisha would literally take up his mantle, his cloak, and we are to anoint those who will take up the mantle after us. We need to disciple those who are following us in the faith. Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, 
and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You and I are part of an unbroken chain of disciples extending back through the years, keeping the faith, teaching the next generation, and proclaiming the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's up to us not to break the chain. We all, each one of us, should be pouring into at least one Elisha, someone younger in the faith than we are, not necessarily younger in age, but for their sake and for yours, iron sharpening iron, supporting, sharing, learning, and growing together under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How do we do this? What do I say? Isn't that going to be awkward? Well, maybe. But God told Elijah, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And it occurs to me that's good advice for us as well. Go back the way you came. Tell your story of how God has worked in your life. How are you experiencing his grace today? Walk with people so they can hear you talk about the ways God is leading you through the desert. How he's supporting you in the middle of the storms in your life. You don't need a theology degree to do that. You just need a genuine relationship. You don't need to be a great speaker to listen. It's not dramatic. But more than earthquakes and fire, more than doctrine and apologetics, God wants to use us through our relationships to reach the people around us. So this morning, let God take your life. Listen for the gentle whisper of his voice and go in his anointing to those across your tables Go to those who are still enemies of God. Go to those who need to know a deeper walk with him. Go to those who are following after you. But go in his name. Let's pray. Lord God, our mission as a church is to love people to life in Jesus Christ. Lord, we're not going to do that by trying to do things in our own strength. Most often, we're not going to do that in big and bold and dramatic ways. Lord, we do that by yielding to you, having you take our life, by listening for you in those gentle whispers. 
God send us out. Send us out with your anointing for those around us. As we go into our last song, I'd invite you to stay in an attitude of prayer. Maybe you're realizing this morning that you need to ask God to take your life. There's something you've been holding on to. And you're weary. You're weary of trying on your own. And maybe God is putting people on your heart. Someone who doesn't know him yet. Someone who's complacent in their faith. Someone who is seeking him and needs someone to come alongside them, disciple them, that you might grow together. If God is putting people on your hearts, I invite you just to come forward to pray for them, to pray for those opportunities. You know, God doesn't often show up in earthquakes and wind and fire, but I think of one time he did. When the church was together and they were praying for boldness to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. So I invite you to come forward in that boldness this day. Let's pray and let's worship him together.